just taking action at an early level in your investing career is the most important thing. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. With us today, Chris Gill. How you doing, Chris? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm fantastic as well. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Chris. He is the owner of CGRELTD Company. He began investing two and a half years ago, started with just $15,000 of capital, and now has a business that owns $500,000 of assets. He has been focused on fixing and flipping. He is now moving into new developments and multifamily based in Houston, Texas. With that being said, Chris, do you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Down in the San Antonio area, not not up in Houston yet, but we'll say yet there because that could happen soon. But got got into real estate, was a a realtor for about a year kind of to learn the business and learn about contracts and learning about just real estate. It's all around us and such a big thing to potentially do and I think it's difficult to kind of where do you start and so I use that as as an opportunity to learn about the business and learn about my local area but then moved quickly toward doing the investing side of things so bought a small multifamily property and rehabbed one of the ends there myself and then moved into buying a single family rehab and fixed and flipped that and that's what we've been focusing on so fast forward to today we've got six or seven houses going at any one time and three crews and a ton of stuff in the works. Is it accurate that you own over $500,000 in the assets? That would be accurate. Yeah. Cool. I have a couple assets that we have a lot of equity in, in terms of the rental properties. And I own a commercial building in downtown that I picked up at the perfect time. And just, yeah, well, business has been really good. Let's go through those transactions. How many properties consist of that $500,000? So that's probably about four properties plus business assets. Uh-huh. Cool. All right. What are those four properties? Those four properties would be a multi-family fourplex that I own that I picked up for about $68,000 three and a half years ago or so and put some money into 
but currently have a note on it at about $51,000, and it's worth a little bit over 200000 at this point. Mm, that's excellent. How much did you put into it? Overall, we had to rehab a unit, which probably cost about $8,000 to get that in rentable condition, and then just common area maintenance repairs as necessary. So we probably put 15000 into it total. And what else do you have? You got that fourplex? We've got that. Um, have a number of other rental properties, one of which that I just sold and pulled a good amount of cash out of. That was a, kind of a, a hodgepodge, all in the same property of a single family home, a duplex and a triplex. So I actually just sold that in anticipation of purchasing some larger multifamily properties. Then I have a real neat building that was built in 1890 that's kind of right in a new and upcoming area in San Antonio's downtown urban core that's seeing a huge renaissance and got a really good deal on that. And we're looking to currently, we have a, in negotiating a lease between a restaurant and a jazz club and going to get them put in there and have that cash flowing. So mm. what'd you buy that for? I picked that up for a little bit over a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. What can you tell us about the numbers in terms of cost to get it to be ready for the restaurant or jazz club? So yeah, I'll be putting about another hundred thousand. We've already probably put about twenty to thirty into it. Probably put another seventy or eighty, so about a hundred thousand extra total. So just call it two hundred for nice round even numbers, and then that's turning it over to the tenant for their finish out allowance, kind of giving them a white box to play with, and then they're adding their fixtures and they're customizing the space for what they need it to look like. We added a rooftop deck. Actually, part of the back of the property had a fire in it, and we added a flat rooftop deck. So you got really cool views of our downtown skyline and everything. And with rents of six to 7000 a month, which is kind of what we're looking at, which is the market rate at that point, that'll put the value of that building between half a million and probably 700000 mm. It's incredible. $200,000 all-in investment. When did you buy that? How long ago? I purchased that about two years ago because I started working in some of these up-and-coming urban areas. I think we're seeing an urban renaissance really worldwide, but definitely in the United States, and, and it's starting to happen in San Antonio. And I would say our downtown's probably 10 to 20 years behind other large downtowns. We're the seventh largest city, but our downtown has been really crappy for a really long time. And there's finally an interest in saying, hey, we need to go back. We need to fix up these urban areas. This makes sense from an infrastructure, from a cost perspective for city growth. You can create density, which allows for a lot more amenities to be in place so I saw that area and started flipping in that area, and then this building came available and purchased that a little bit over two years ago now. Wow, you bought it two years ago. What have you been doing for the last two years with the property? Has it been draining the piggy bank a little bit until you find a tenant? The great thing about older properties and older areas is in a lot of times the appraised value is very low. So my holding cost on this property is extremely low. So really if I didn't do anything with it for another five or ten years, it really wouldn't be that big of a deal. But thankfully, there's been a lot of growth in that area, so I'm able to capitalize on that investment earlier. Okay. Outside of the initial 100000 and then the improvement dollars that you've put out there that aren't returning anything, you don't have really much overhead costs, you said. Because of why? Well, the property is purchased with cash, so that was obviously a nice thing to be able to do. And yep. But the appraised value of the property is extremely low, so I think taxes literally on it are about 600 bucks a year right now, which is insane. <laughs> And there's also some really neat programs in some of these urban areas, which I think is another interesting niche for people to look at is saying, hey, where is the city? And even nationally, where is money being placed? And there's a myriad of grants. And this is not just indicative of San Antonio, but I mean, you can do the market research and you can find opportunities where there's federal and state and city money. So I mean, I've 
looked at getting several grants and there's a tax freeze in place on the property. So there's some additional benefits to investing in urban infill areas that aren't just the very basic dollars and cents. You can buy it for this and sell it or rent it for this. And for these two years, is it hasn't been rented because the market just wasn't ready for it. You're a little ahead of the time. It was ahead of the market and needed a lot of deferred maintenance to it. So okay. my process of rehabbing the property has been to take it a little bit more slowly because I knew that wasn't necessarily something that I was going to see a return on right away. But I knew acquiring the initial asset was a great call. Mm-hmm. And so then kind of just rehabbed it as there was additional income and cash in the business. And you know now saying, okay, let's go ahead and make this final push and get everything finished out so we can go ahead and get this rented. And now it's cash flowing and returning money. So. How'd you find the restaurant? Is it a restaurant or jazz club that might be renting it, or is it a restaurant and jazz club that and jazz club? Okay, yeah. so it's an an existing restaurant here in San Antonio by a pretty well known restaurant tour who's been very involved for a long time and makes incredibly authentic Cajun food, and then they're partnering with another gentleman who has background in running restaurants and a couple of McDonald's and nightclubs and that kind of thing. So it's a neat synergy between the two of them, and then myself being a local landlord, owner-operator sort of thing. So we're all kind of coming together and working to make this project happen. Mm. Did you have a pre-existing relationship with them? No, I do do a lot of marketing. I come from a film background. And so I have a a web show that I've been doing and put a lot out on social media and try and really use that to connect with potential buyers and potential investors, other people that are just interested in real estate. So we put some really cool renderings together for the building, what the space will look like when it's finished out and connected with some of the local politicians and people that are trying to see these areas get revitalized. And that's kind of how the connection happened. Do you remember exactly, was it a social media post or do you remember the exact point where they heard about this? I think it was their renderings. We, we got a sign and we put that up on the building with some of the renderings of what the place will look like because obviously it doesn't look very pretty right now. And I think that they saw that and went to some of the local leaders in that area who then put them in contact with me. Wow. So you're evolving your business and your approach from the fix and flips and now you're going into more projects similar to this building and multifamily. Is that correct? That is correct. And single family infill developments as well. Okay. And out of a retail property like this or a multifamily property or a single family infill development, which one of those areas do you think will be your next deal and why? We're kind of doing them all simultaneously. So we're in the due diligence process right now on a 38-unit apartment complex in the downtown area of San Antonio. We've got a couple of pieces of land that we're working through the different engineering processes and the permitting and the replatting and the zoning, getting all that straightened out. So we will be able to start two new build single family developments. And then, yeah, you know, looking and saying, hey, if there's a good commercial kind of buy and hold strategy that we can implement as well, that's not as much a focus, but I mean, definitely in there if the right opportunities present itself. Wow. You are running on all cylinders. That's for sure. You have a 38 unit apartment complex. Is that under contract right now? So it's currently under contract, correct. Congratulations on that. When are you scheduled to close? That remains to be seen depending on how all the due diligence comes back and all the financials. Probably 45 to 60 days. Okay. I'm sure the contract has something. So it's about 60 days from the time you signed it is when you're supposed to close? Correct. Okay. Got it. What have you found so far? How far into due diligence are you? You know, this is an interesting property because there is a lot of deferred maintenance and there's pretty poor financials and records that have been kept about the property. 
So definitely part of our process is figuring out, okay, what is actually true with what we've been told? And always, obviously, <laughs> confirm and check your numbers yep. you know, based off of as many verifiable sources as you possibly can. But then going back and saying, okay, if this isn't being purchased as much, because of the cash flow it's being producing currently, there may be a lot of repositioning that needs to take place with the property in terms of rehabbing and rebranding and all that kind of good stuff. If you're buying it more off of the asset value, not as much off of the business producing end of an apartment complex, kind of what numbers will come to at the end of the day. So, you know, a little bit of an atypical multifamily deal, but something with potentially a lot of upside. So, One quick question, something more substantive. How did you find the deal? It was brought to me by a local connection that was all that's absolutely a credit to the marketing and to letting people know what you do and to being real public about your business and saying, this is something I'm looking to grow and here's what I'm looking for. Excellent. And was it on the market at the time? I don't believe so. No. So now here's the larger question. How do you associate a purchase price to something where you don't have the financials and there's a lot of deferred maintenance? What's your approach to coming up with the amount you pay? Land value, obviously, that's part of it. So figuring out that's a fairly easy number to kind of come to based off of recently sell comp slash appraisal value of the property at the time. And then figuring out, okay, it's in this condition to bring it to market condition, it'll cost X dollars. And then kind of allowing that to work with figuring out the replacement cost of saying, okay, if I scraped it and built new, what would I be building and where would that be able to be leased at per square foot? versus something that may be older, which can be rehabbed, but there'll probably be always be a little bit of a difference there between a brand new class A property and a C that's brought to a B, say. So, I mean, it's a combination of saying, okay, land value slash here's what the replacement costs versus what I'm getting currently, and this is how much the rehab's going to cost. And are you buying this with your own funds or are you bringing in partners? It'd be a combination of both. Okay. And is that partnership a syndication where you're raising money or do you have a joint venture with someone or multiple people? I have a number of private investors that I've done some of these single family rehabs with and looking forward toward the urban infill developments. So it would be a a similar type process of bringing together some people and yes, syndicating the deal, but making sure that myself and my company, we're still definitely the leads and making the calls on the property and the repositioning and that kind of thing. Chris, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? You know, I think that I was looking and I was thinking about what my answer to this <laughs> important question would be. And I think it's really basic. And I know that I'd say this a lot with some of the stuff that I put out, but I think just taking action at an early level in your investing career is the most important thing. Because I was thinking, I mean, okay, there's differentiating factors and there's things that you can level up with as you grow your business. But the number one thing is still taking action. Because if you get caught just single family rehabs, you're never going to graduate to the next level of multifamily or infill developments or building a small neighborhood. And if you get stuck at that level, you're only going to be there and you're never going to move up to what's next. So continually taking action and pushing your comfort zone. And you know, when I purchased my first deal, I didn't have a background in real estate. I did film and I had a marketing company and I knew people in real estate, but didn't have a direct advisor. And so I read a lot of books and I watched a lot of YouTube videos and annoyed as many people that I knew who was kind of sort of doing what I wanted to do and then just pulled the trigger and bought some properties and worked on them and made it work. If I were to give you three hours, magically I came up with three extra hours a day for you, but you have to spend it in your business. What's the best ever way you'd spend those three hours? 
personal education, business related, does that can that count toward the sure? Three? Of course, okay. you're, you're stretching, you're stretching it, but yes, sure. Okay, well, I mean, that that would be part of it, but I think cultivating the relationships because I think everything is business driven, and the reason I think real estate's a great thing to bring in other people with because there's a lot of parts to the real estate game, and there's a lot of things that you probably do great, but there's a lot of things that you don't do great, and so finding the right people to fill those holes is the number one way to grow real estate. So I think continuing to educate people, you always have people ahead of you, but you're always going to have people behind you as well. And if you've just done one deal, you're still ahead of a heck of a lot of people that have never done any deals. So I think finding ways to educate yourself, but also educate other people, not only about how to get into real estate, but about what you're doing and what your company is doing. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I love it. Let's do it. All right, first, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here, February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out, besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you. Move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. Best ever book you've read? I would give a category. I like books that are about the biographies or the autobiographies about incredible people that I want to emulate and act like. So there's a great biography about Elon Musk. I just finished a book about the founding of Amazon and Jeff Bezos. The Steve Jobs book was incredibly inspiring. So I love finding people that I want to emulate and become more and more like and then learn about their lives and how they lived. Best ever way you cultivate relationships? A lot of lunches. Lunch is a great thing. You get to eat and you get to talk and it's not aggressive and weirdly salesy. And so I would spend time just eating with people and pick up the tab. Best ever deal you've done? At this point, probably the properties on Austin Street is where that commercial building is. And that was early insight into where an area was going and feeling confident and then making a call that a lot of people at the time thought was I was overpaying for the property. And obviously, it's heading in a really good direction. I've already made a ton of money on it if I just sold it today. So, so far, that would probably have to be it. Yeah, and having the risk tolerance, too, because you bought it and you essentially sat on it for two years. It was no man's land when I bought it. Yeah. Literally, yes. I mean, that, that area, I flipped in this kind of geographic neighborhood. I think I flipped the third house that had gotten rehabbed there, and I bought this building pretty soon after that because I just had a really strong sense. I was like, I'm local. I know this area. I know how long it takes me to drive my car from this area to the middle of downtown where everything is happening. And there's no way, as people continue to become interested in growing this area, that this area is not going to work. And it was a good call, thankfully. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it? I think cultivating self-awareness, and that may sound kind of ethereal and weird, but I think the more you're understanding your strengths and weaknesses, 
and focusing on them. The biggest thing that I would also tell people, and I think we may talk about this a little bit later on, but, and I mentioned it, bringing in that team and finding the ways that I'm not good at. And there have been things I've realized, man, I'm good at a lot of parts of business and real estate, but there are parts that I'm absolutely just not good at. And to try and force yourself to do those longer than you absolutely have to is going to hurt your business and pull your back. That's one of the big lessons I've learned as well, is focusing on what I'm good at and then having team members who are very good at those other things that I suck at, that's for sure. Yep, and they're great at those other things, right? It's not like they're doing something that they're not good at. They're doing the exact thing that they're super good at, which allows everybody to be happier, hopefully, as well. Sounds so simple, but man, that's just a tremendous effect on my bottom line, that's for sure. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I love talking about money with people, and that may sound weird, but I've, for whatever reason, had a really intuitive sense about finances and money for really a very young age. I've always done entrepreneurial stuff. I've really never had a boss, and I started a lemonade stand and golf ball business when I was like six, and I've always just loved business, and I've loved seeing how money, if handled well and treated correctly, can totally set someone up for a life of success and enjoyment and being able to focus on, again, what they're happy doing and not having to fill time doing things simply because they have to put food on the table. I think that's such a sad rut that so many people get into. So I love talking to other young people about how I've done what I've done as a 25-year-old running a business. That's always super rewarding. What's the best ever marketing campaign or promotional tactic you've done to create awareness for your company? Well, again, I guess going back to my strengths video, it was a strength of mine, and I worked behind the scenes in the film industry for a while and did a little bit of acting for a while, so that was a very comfortable way for me to visually communicate with people, and real estate's obviously such a visual thing, because you can see it and touch it and taste it and smell it. Well, maybe not taste it, but touch it and smell it for sure, some of the houses I've walked into. (laughs) Um, But showing people, yeah, the visualization and showing people, walking them through what a rehab looks like and, hey, this is the struggle. This is what rehabbing homes really is, and it may be a little bit different than HGTV and DIY, but this is really what it looks like, and the amount of exposure that I've gotten off of creating videos has been really tremendous. What's the biggest mistake, and you might have mentioned earlier, that you've made in real estate? I would say not growing my team more quickly because I know the first two years I was doing everything myself. And I was GCing everything myself and with, I had three houses going at one time and I just, that was, I had nothing else. That was no time for marketing, no time for keeping track of taxes. It was just trying to run a house project and getting these rehabs done and realizing that, hey, you almost have to put the scaling in front of you when you feel like your business is ready for it. But they go so much hand in hand that when the scaling happens, your business will scale up at the same time. So find those holes in the things you're not good at and start bringing in, partnering, hiring, whatever you have to do to grow that team around you. Would you recommend that others, because you basically on the commercial property, you speculated, right? Would you recommend that others speculate when they purchase property? Not when you're starting out in real estate. That's an expensive game to play overall. And I bought that building originally considering living in it because it's a cool New York <laughs> style loft. And I was like, this would be the best party pad. In all of <laughs> and then I realized I would never get any work done. And then I realized, okay, I can actually make some money off of it. So it was a little bit of an evolution process and I knew the building would make money. So I can't quite take total credit for saying this was the end goal when I purchased it. 
but I knew it would make money no matter what it ended up being at the end of the day. But no, and I think the opportunity cost of money is such an important thing to calculate, which is why I'm selling some smaller multifamily, which may be in good areas that are appreciating. They are, but $150,000, $200,000 tied up in a property, multiply that out based off what you can make that money make for you year over year, and then multiply that out based off how many years you were thinking about keeping that property and is buying and holding slash speculating really the best use, or if you're a hands-on operator at this point, is it better to cash out and put that money towards something else? And that's at least where I'm at currently. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? The best ever listeners can find me at chrisfgill.com. That's Christopher Franklin Gill is my name. So chrisfgill.com, and I'm on pretty much all social media with that same ending, Chris F. Gill, G-I-L-L. Great. So chrisfgill.com. Chris, what a wonderful conversation. Thank you. We talked about a lot of stuff from your start as a real estate agent just to get acclimated to the whole process, contracts in local area, then buying small multifamily, rehabbing, doing the fix and flips, buying a property, the 1890 building, all the way to where you're at now with the 38 unit that seems, you didn't say this, but it it sounds like it is very much distressed and it's going to be a project that you are likely buying low and doing a lot of work that would be one of the projects where you could taste it, I imagine, when you when, when you when you walk in the door. <laughs> I've been there. I, I've seen those units personally. Then at the end, things are going to go well as long as they go according to plan overall, and you make a lot of money because that is where the real value is created in real estate when you force the appreciation through a methodical business plan like that 38 unit. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.